What if the culture wars simply reveal our givenness to antagonizing one another and not really understanding the reconciling work of God in Christ Jesus? Hello, folks. Today on the podcast here at Pathological, a podcast for the pastor theologian, I am excited to present uh, an interview with David Fitch. David is at Northern Seminary, and as you'll hear, uh, we met uh, some years ago, and he wrote an article on the pastor theologian sometime back, I'll include in the notes, and it formed really in my mind where I had hoped to take this podcast when we rethemed it. So uh, pay attention. There is a lot to cover in a short time, and I'm always appreciative Don't forget that if you find this helpful, uh, share the the podcast with your friends. Uh, Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or favorite podcatcher. And uh, remember, if you have a suggestion for a guest that might help us explore uh, what it means to be a pastor theologian, send me a note, drop me a line, and uh, we'll do all we can to get them on the podcast. So enjoy, and look forward to uh, interacting with you online. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm excited to, today. Uh, if I ever were accused of being a fanboy, I might be a fanboy of my guest today, and that would be David Fitch. And uh, David is the B.R. Linder Chair of Evangelical Theology at Northern Seminary. And uh, in 2008, he and Jeff Holsclaw did an online course in readings in postmodern philosophy and theology, and that was just deeper down the rabbit hole for me. And so I've been looking forward to this ever since I rethemed the podcast Pathological for the Pastor Theologian, in part prompted by an, an article or a post that uh, David wrote some time ago. And so, Dave, I'm glad to have you on today. Hey, Todd, it's good to be on. Uh, it's, it's good to catch up with you. You know, you and I have known each other, I think, at least since that course. By the way, that course was a very difficult course. We've never done it again. And uh, so you can say something like, I think I'm one of uh, seven or eight people that passed a, that course and it was never done again. I mean, wasn't that a difficult readings course? That you know? was a <laughs> difficult readings course. It was some of the densest reading I had done. And and that's including my MDiv, D-Men, and, and maybe a few other things besides. Right. But, you know, we were trying to do it in online chat rooms and, and trying to sort out some of those concepts via chat rooms was a nightmare. So we never did that again. But thanks for doing thanks for taking that journey that one time with us. Oh, oh thanks for offering it. I, I, yeah. uh, it's been it's been a huge help along the way. Uh, Dave, tell me a little bit about your vision for the pastor theologian. That's been something that's important to you. I mean, I think in, in part, at least, as I've watched kind of where your involvement in the church, uh, at Life on the Vine, and now um, now you you just recently went to, P, uh, what's the church you're at? Peace of Christ. Peace in the of Christ, yeah. And so um, tell us a little bit about your vision for the pastor theologian. Yeah, well, um, I think we're at a stage in time and history when uh, – uh, Christendom, as we say, at least up here in the northern parts of the United States, northeast, northwest, even in the Midwest, certainly Canada, large parts of California and northern California, Austin, Texas, for instance. I mean, all over the place, we're seeing the demise or or the disappearance of this Christendom Christianized society. 
And so uh, what the role that intellectuals used to play was, well, I'm going to go off, study, become a professional theologian, try to transmit uh, uh, the best of history and theology and help people to carry on the church. Unfortunately, I I almost said unfortunately. I'm going to change that. Fortunately. Uh, those days are gone. Now we have. Now we are no longer in the, under the illusion that the church is an established institution built for the comfort and sustaining of Christians only. But now we have to be in mission, and this means we're going to engage in all sorts of different situations, all kinds of new things that we as a church haven't engaged in. And you know, the big three are justice, including racial issues, divides, uh, poverty, socioeconomic injustice, but also sexuality, and I'm going to say plural sexualities, as well as pluralism and the fact that we are no longer the only religion in town. All of these present um, new challenges for the church so that we can't just do theology up in an ivory tower anymore. Uh, we have to be in and among the church and the life of the people that are engaging these situations every day of their lives. And out of this engagement, we can do theology. So as opposed to the Ph.D., where you go and you study one historic discipline, you spend a lot of time on that discipline, understanding its history, and then you get more particular and minute in the in the minutiae of a particular issue so that you are the only one who knows everything about one little thing. We want to become generalists that have the full, um, you know, have the, we're immersed in the theology and the tradition of the Christian faith and understanding scriptures, but now we're doing it locally contextualized in the everyday situations of life. And, and uh, that's what uh, Gramsci, Antonio Gramsci the post-Marxist philosopher said, is an organic intellectual. I think that model of an organic intellectual, not somebody up in the ivory towers, but someone living out the struggles of everyday life and out of that thinking through theological issues and leading the church further into mission, that's for me the model of what it means to be a pastor, theologian, and why it's so important. Fantastic. and, And trailing off on that, so let's say uh, let's let's take me for instance. So I've 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 gone to seminary a couple times. I've I've been pastoring, and it dawns on me that this shift has taken place, and I'm now going to look around for resources, relationships, connections to help me think differently about my role, and try to include that organic model you describe where are, what are some things you would suggest yeah well uh okay so first of all i think uh where the rubber meets the road i've got so many you know seminaries i teach in a seminary a seminary by the way that is trying to engage all these shifts in major ways including uh, what we're calling streaming but synchronous classrooms where we can pipe in and learn and and uh, develop theologically, contextually. Um, so, but anyways, uh, so from a, I get a lot of people who want to do PhDs. <clears throat> I strongly, I str- and especially if you want a job, I strongly recommend thinking. 
twice, three times, maybe a hundred times before you even do such a thing as a PhD in theology because of the costs and the effort and what what you'll come out with really are not suited to the theological challenges of our day. They're suited to go teach in a university or a seminary, and there are just less and less of those opportunities there. Um, instead, seek to uh, do collaborative work with other pastors in reading and thinking through issues that are local and getting together in groups like theological forms. And so we're already seeing one uh, here in Oak Park by a guy named um, uh, Gerald Heastan. Uh, but we're seeing at Missio Alliance. Missio Alliance was formed as a theological form to bring pastors, theologians together to think through issues on the ground, be part of those kind of forms. If you want to do more education, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to rethink the Doctor of Ministry uh, program from being kind of an add-on post-graduate uh, pastoral educational thing to actually a, a training ground for, for pastor theologians. And then as the seminary disappears, or at least dwindles in influence, let's form schools and places where pastors can learn theology together, led by um, the kind of uh, theologians that we're talking, the pastor theologians that we're talking about. That was a lot. Does that make sense? Maybe I need to clarify something. There. No, no, I think that makes great sense. Uh, I, I think the idea of uh, getting a, a group together to do some collaborative work and think through some of these issues, I think has largely been the been one of the strengths of, you know, online relationships. Um, because um, <clears throat> I think back to a conversation I had with a, a friend, uh, a fellow pastor in our state, with college together, we've, we've known one another a long time. And over lunch one, one day at a denominational meeting, we began to, a few of us began to have this conversation. And, and I, I looked over at my friend and his eyes had rolled back in his head and these things just didn't interest him. So it's not like there are a lot of people or a lot of pastors out there who've recognized this need, but there needs to be some sort of network or some way to find those, uh, if you will, kindred spirits who, who recognize this shift that you've described and say, okay, I need someone to think through this with me. I need some safe places to trot some things out, to, to work through these things. I, I think that pay makes perfect sense, especially uh, for those of us who are uh, a, a quite a distance from, say, a seminar where I could come to your McDonald's and hang out and we could uh, have coffee over what your latest read is and talk about that. So, yes, I think that's excellent. Yeah, I mean uh... – Man, uh, the the shifts that are taking place are so huge. And uh, there are many people, especially if they went to a seminary, and I'm now I'm kind of dissing my own occupation of being a seminary professor. Uh, but, and by the way, I didn't become a seminary professor until later in my life when I was in my late 40s after, you know, much work in church planting and I was a bivocational guy and doing a PhD. But anyways, the point is, uh, I was an I was an organic intellectual and got invited into the seminary uh, life, but we're seeing the seminary life is really falling apart around on the scene. Only those with about 
two or three hundred million dollars in the bank are going to be able to survive for very long. And so what we're what we're moving towards is these models where we have these forms. You know, the Gospel Coalition is a form to think through theology for people born and thinking through theology out of a particular way. Missio Alliance is is this kind of place where we're all realizing that the uh, the extreme uh, conservative or the extreme progressive left responses to these issues really are, for, from my standpoint, a Christendom response. It's out of a position of power. We need to become present in and among contexts, listen and reflect contextually, uh, faithfully out of Scripture, faithfully out of our historic tradition, but out of listening and dialogue and out of a communal seeking to engage so that God can do something new to witness to his kingdom and what he's doing through Jesus as Lord so that we can call people into it. That's a different mentality of doing theology than a lot of people have either been uh, bred for, you know, taught in schools or are even want to do. For those of us who want to be missionaries, we got to do theology in a different way. Oh, no question. So maybe that would that would take us to think about um, uh, some of the things that have interested you that have shown up in your writing. So, uh, for instance, um, I still refer back to and try to get some of my friends to read uh, the end of evangelicalism, where you uh, introduce an evangelical political theology. And and what really struck me about that was, uh, for the first time, uh, someone challenged some of the. Uh, 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 statements or positions that generally uh, got people up in arms uh, and got them fired up, if you will, yeah. only to discover that really when you peer uh, deeper into it, you find out that there's really a violation of the very thing that they're holding. So I think you describe that as you find out the core is empty. And uh, and there, there are some certainly some words we could, you know, dazzle people with that describe that uh, – uh, euphoric feeling of defending what we feel threatened, but but what are the ways that that we can um, work toward uh, uh, opening ourselves up to those things that really have become empty that we celebrate? Does that yeah. make sense? Uh, I think so. I think I, I know what you're getting at here. Uh, I believe. Uh, because of the cultural shifts that we just finished talking about, that we're caught up in sorts of what I call in that book antagonisms or ideological antagonisms. You can, and you can tell it's an antagonism when people can't really talk about it. Instead, they just want to fight and they want to turn the other position into an object to be defeated. And so we no longer have dialogue on the issue. And so what I tried to show was, hey... Yes, evangelicalism, as we know it, uh, was defending the authority of Scripture back 100 years ago when B.B. Warfield and friends came up with inerrancy. But somehow along the way, this turned into an identity marker uh, that became uh, something we... that Our fight against, that's how we got our identity. We believe in the inerrant Bible. And there's almost like a damn it in there, you know, an anger, uh, a fierce, this is what I'm holding on to over against those liberals. And that antagonism forms our identity so much so that it we, we lose what 
that whole idea was about, which was submitting to and living out of the authority of Scripture as the story of our lives in Jesus Christ, we lost the ability to actually live it because we had turned it into an object that we were defending um, with all our might. So what I was trying to do there in that book, by the way, I'm uh, now working at the very beginnings of working on a book called uh, Evangelicalism Without Enemies uh, to kind of popularize some of the ideas in that Mm -hmm. book. But uh, the whole idea there was is let's pay attention now to the ideological antagonisms, not only that are in the world, and there's plenty of them. I mean, I believe that apart from Christ, apart from what God has done in Christ to reconcile the world, we're all caught up in these fights, these antagonisms, these me against you. That's the way the world works apart from Christ. And frankly, that's the way the church works when it is no longer depending in trust and faith and living faithfully in the fullness of Christ. And we need to be aware of that. We need to discern that. We need to re- uh, resist. Resist, of course, nonviolently. We, just, we need to say, no, thank you. I am going to live in Christ and engage, be present with you. Presence is the opposite of antagonism. So I think that whole issue is a really important one for organic theologians to work through and help us understand. Because if the church is going to get back in mission, if the church is going to be present to the lost and the hurting, we need to get rid of our antagonisms. We need to get rid of participating in other people's violence and antagonism and just be present with the presence of Christ for the world. Yeah, and in your in your recent, uh, oh, I think it was about three weeks ago, you uh, wrote a piece entitled "Donald Trump: What's a Christian to Do," and and you pointed to uh, the role of the church, and you set some distinctives out for how the church should kind of identify itself in the, these big shifts we're talking about, and in this posture we take toward the world. Can you can you tell us kind of what what led to your um, or what influenced your thinking that way? Uh, where, where does that stem from? So that maybe some of those who would listen and might be interested in engaging kind of as a pastor theologian, where are some sources that, that influenced you to think about the church as a political uh, place where we can offer nonviolent resistance in the midst of these shifts and changes and bear faithful witness to Jesus? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, uh, anybody who's known me for a while knows that Stanley Hauerwas has had a significant impact on my theology and neo-Anabaptist thought, generally speaking, uh, which, you know, had its post-World War II development start with John Howard Yoder. And so the politics of Jesus is a great place to start. And basically the argument of Yoder is, and I I hesitate to call it an argument, the, the thing that he's displaying is how that in Christ... He's calling us not just to a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. He is doing that. But but that's really part of uh, a new way of life that he's birthing in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father. And this is a politic. This is a way of living together under his lordship that changes us, grows us. Uh, reconciles us, um, uh, renews us, and so that the world sees the kingdom start to shape before invisible ways as as it looks on and goes, oh, 
my goodness, that is what we want. That is what we need. You know, I was just reading um, um, Smith's uh, um, uh, the old uh, Crozier Rochester Seminary professor, Martin Luther King, uh, is a book on Martin Luther King's concept of beloved community, and the, and and I'm reading this beautiful account of beloved community, this this idea of loving one another, reconciling one another, socioeconomically sharing, and I'm saying, you know, Martin Luther King, who was out of the Protestant liberal tradition had the, all these great ideas, but we need the living encounter with the historical reality of what God has done in Christ. He did come. He did die. He was the son of God. He did raise. He did cosmically change the world. And now as the book of Revelation teaches us, he sits at the right hand of the father on opening up one seal at a time, slowly waiting as long as possible for all of us to come in to the kingdom. And that vision is takes place in a social reality called the church as a witness to the kingdom before the rest of the world. So I'd start with, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think that if uh, Martin Luther King would have read, uh, that's this, this kind of a bizarre thing to say, but I don't think it would have worked. But if if, Luther, if MLK would have read John Howard Yoder, we would have had the both of the we had we would have had the both of the best the best of both worlds, and and uh, we could have seen. Uh, what I really think was happening in the civil rights movement in those early days. Wow, that's fantastic. And, and as you describe that, and as uh, when, when you were kind of uh, describing the way we needed to uh, take stock in those antagonisms and ideologies at work, and then you point us to resources, the one thing that I've noticed you uh, able to do, and maybe uh, maybe it's just a knack you developed because you spent a good bit of time church planting before heading to the seminary. But one of the problems people have is actually with the discourse or with the language or the vocabulary. So you'll read someone uh, who might be a little bit heady and you, you grasp the idea, and now you're trying to work to translate that and to help those in your community recognize our own ideologies, our own antagonisms, and how uh, Jesus liberates us from those, and we can form that beloved community as we share that life together in, in love and, and reconciliation. How do you, what, what, how do you bridge that that uh, discursive gap or, or, or that vocabulary that sometimes we preacher types can lock into a word and assume that those who are hearing us know exactly what we're talking about? Yeah, well. Uh... Again, we're getting back to this whole idea of organic theologian. And, and by the way, I'm in the process of preparing, uh, Easter. I'm, I have never quit church planting and I'm in a new church plant, Peace of Christ community in Westmont, which was sent out from Life on the Vine, the church that my wife and I planted, was it 12, 14 years ago now? And, uh, so I, I, I tell, all our preachers, we have five pastors, none paid, who are gathering a group right now, probably 35 adults, probably another 25 children, a lot of children, and uh, per, per adult, probably one child per adult, which makes it crazy. Uh, but anyways, um, I have to continually work on can I communicate this gospel of Jesus as Lord, that Jesus has overcome, that Jesus has in the cross and the resurrection overcome sin, death, and evil. And now you're invited into the victory. 
make him Lord of your life. I have to communicate that and the text. And I, I tell people, you got to do it in one rhetorical phrase, one clear, stunningly compelling phrase, and then build on it. And that teaches, if, if you're preaching to people, now I'm, I'm preaching with and among, on an Easter Sunday morning, probably 50, 60 people. I'm staring most of them in the eyes. I know a lot of what's going on in their lives. I have to learn how to communicate uh, all this other stuff that's so important into their everyday lives. And I think that that alone is an argument for why we all got to be, all us pastors, if we're going to be missionaries, got to be organic, contextual theologians. That practice alone, Todd, does it for me. That, that's, that's, that's excellent. And yeah. uh, I think the... Maybe some, you know. I know. I, I know that um, you gather and listen at McDonald's, certainly other places. But sometimes we 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 preacher types. We we don't get into that mix. We don't get into those places where we can have conversations and listen and find out uh, the depth of what is taking place, and then pick up on what are the ways we can translate. Uh, that that good news, that gospel, that that proclamation, that declaration, and I picked up. I think it was this morning or yesterday. You you posted out uh, that in Christendom, I got to get this right. In in Christendom, there's a tendency to make teaching primary. Yeah, um, and you've been really emphasizing, hitting us squarely, talking about proclamation, almost as if that's taking a back seat. Is that what you're communicating? Uh yeah, and and uh, uh, just to let everybody know, I have this book coming out with InterVarsity uh, in about six months, maybe maybe five months, uh, called Faithful Presence. And and in there, I talk about seven practices for how God changes the world, and and one of them is proclaiming the gospel. And I, I just argue in there, and I've seen this over and over again uh, that we, <clears throat> excuse me, we. Um, we pastors of Christendom want to teach. Now, teaching, as C.H. Dodd said over, I don't know, 80 years ago, teaching is for Christians, preaching, proclaiming the gospels for non-Christians. Now, he's since been proven somewhat that that's somewhat oversimplistic. But basically, when we're now in post-Christendom, we're living in the world six days a week, six and a half days a week, however many days a week. And we need the gospel proclaimed over us. In other words, Jesus has come and fulfilled the promises of God to make all things right. And he's working now in our lives. And Jesus is Lord. And he's Lord over this. And he's Lord over this. He's Lord. Can you receive it? Can you enter in? You know, that kind of proclamation we need every Sunday morning. I, I put it this way. I need to get saved every Sunday morning. <laughs> I need to accept that he's at work in these situations. And maybe I'm not seeing it. But out of this scripture and out of this text... We're, the gospels proclaim that he's at work in this way, that God is this kind of God, and he's this kind of person, and he's at work bringing the world to its rightful end. And uh, so that's proclamation. But too often, not too often, almost everywhere Christendom has got its hold, we default into teaching Christians and helping them understand things they already know only deeper. Now, there's a legitimate place for that. Don't get me wrong. Everybody who who was tempted to turn off the podcast that one minute ago, hear me, 
teaching is important for Christians. We need to explain. We need to develop. We need to understand the full story of God. But if we don't hear the proclamation of the gospel over our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are forever going to be living in our heads and not being invited into the world as it is where Jesus is Lord. So I think, yeah, there is two, there is a difference. I think it's a big difference. I think Christendom churches tend to devolve into teaching and teaching only. We need both. And frankly, we need to put an emphasis on preaching, proclamation, because teaching only makes sense for those who are already living within the gospel. Hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we might point folks back to uh, one of your earlier books, too, The Great Giveaway. I mean, you, you have some really strong things to say about a variety of places where it seems that we've given away uh, some of the very valuable uh, elements of uh, sharing the good news. And you have a, a significant chapter there on preaching, too. Yeah, um, and and maybe I was a little over the top in that chapter. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, was, I think I was writing that chapter uh, out of being a little angry. Uh, where uh, so many, uh, I was listening to people as as we were starting Life on the Vine in the first three or four years. I was listening to people. Oh, I am going to go over to that church over there because they preach the word. Mm-hmm. And I go, what do you mean? Well, they lexically dissect each passage word for word, sentence for sentence. They do not deviate off the passage. So I know they're preaching the word, and I go. Do you know that, so obviously it would get me a little bit upset because I believe that actually what was going on was under the guise of preaching the word. Said pastors were basically saying, we got the word and everybody else doesn't. And you know what? Here's what it is. And you need to go do this. And it turned into a works righteousness and had a lot of problems in it. And all, all that to say, it wasn't preaching the word. I mean, every, just go look at any commentary and you'll see given any verse that there's four or five or six different possibilities given this word or that word or this grammar or that grammar no what was going on was under the guise of preaching the word you need to do what i'm telling you to do and so i just got a little um upset about that and i said we need the gospel and we need the whole story and the whole wisdom of god preached every sunday not under the guise of i'm going to dissect every word and explain everything and so you can choose up in your head what you like and what you don't you can go out being the same person well well i'm i'm glad you got angry <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, because i i think that what's been borne out well it was certainly borne out before you undertook the write that particular chapter, but it's also been borne out since then that that has been a very well-documented, illustrated point, that what has gone on under the guise of some preaching is, is I've got it, this is it, you've got to do that, and um, been some not uh, so uh, subtle illustrations, public illustrations of how that doesn't really work out very well. Yes. Yes, sadly, sadly so. Uh, but hey, there's a revolution coming, if I can put it that way. There's a, there's a revolution. It's happening amongst uh, people that are younger than you or I. It's happening because they're seeing it, understanding it, living it. And uh, I'm just seeing little churches pop up in homes and in neighborhoods uh, left and right that are trying to engage their communities with the gospel. And so I'm really encouraged 
yes, we have a lot of baggage to get over, but um, I'm seeing it every day. So I think there's a revolution going and, on. And I, and I love that. And and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wind down. So let's 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 end on a note like that. And and so here you are in a room full of um, young uh, folks wanting to participate in that revolution. What are three things you would tell them? Uh, how you would encourage them? Uh, the 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 ways that you would uh, want to see them you know, maintain and persevere in that, in that revolutionary spirit, if you will, what what are, what are two or three things that you would, you'd want to encourage them with? Well, uh, one, let's start with this one. Don't give up on the church. I know that a lot of people under the age of, uh, let's say 35, probably 40 are, are feeling like I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I feel your pain and, and exhaustion, but God has chosen his people to do the ministry of reconciliation in the world. So instead of giving up on the church, that's my first thing I'd say is secondly, I'd say join with find three, four, five, find ideally find 11 other people that would make it 12 of like-minded and go inhabit a neighborhood, go buy a house, get a job. Get a job, find, buy a house. Amazing how many seminarians tell them to go get a job is like, you know, what? Me? Get a job? It's amazing. It's, it's amazing how uh, if you go through two or three years of seminaries, for some reason you think you're unemployable. <laughs> uh, but, but, hey, you are now more employable because, A, you can read a book. You can, uh, you can, uh, uh, you can summarize a book. You can probably communicate in public. You probably care and love about people. You you can do all sorts of things that are incredibly important and rare in, in our marketplace. So anyways, go get a job and uh, go buy a house and go live in a neighborhood and meet together once a week for dinner and tend to the presence of Christ among you and pray for your neighborhood. And then uh, – so that's my, my second point. My third point is um, – um, well, that's it. That's it for me because I, I think in gathering in homes, in meals, tending to what God's doing in each other's lives and praying for one another and in getting to know my neighborhoods, hanging out in those spaces, I call them the half circles of our lives, God will call his church together. And then my last point is give it 10 years and you will have a flourishing way of life and you will be so uh, – blessed by God as to what he's doing in you, your life, your families, your everything. So anyways, my challenge is go start the revolution. Ah, good, good. <laughs> well, Dave, listen, I, I, I can't tell you how much I thank you for your time. I actually hope we get to do this again. I'm going to be looking forward to uh, your book that's coming out. You said maybe in six months, Presence, How God Shapes the Church for the Sake of the World. Faithful Presence. Uh, I'm going I'm to I'm put your yeah, faithful presence. I'm, I'm going to put... Uh, Put the link to that when we post the podcast, uh, ways to uh, listen to you and Jeff on Theology on Mission on your podcast, and anything else I can do. And just know this, any anytime someone says, what seminary, I don't send them to my alma mater. I say, go study with Fitch. And if you have to, Scott McKnight. So <laughs> there, there you I'll, go. There you I'll go. I'll tell them you said that. 
That made my day. <laughs> there you go. Uh, blessings on you and your ministry and your church and, and furtherance of the kingdom of God in your life. Amen. Hey, thanks, David. I appreciate it. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that podcast with David Fitch. A couple things I wanted to mention uh, before signing off, and that is uh, you can catch David and Jeff Holsclaw at Theology on Mission podcast. Uh, they provide a, a short 20 to 30 minute podcast uh, regularly and you can find that there again we'll put it in the show notes just wanted to uh, give a shout out to to david and jeff and for the work they're doing on their podcast we like to kind of share um, those good resources for the pastor theologian and that's another good one available you can actually click through on the uh, website at pathological.com or toddlittleton.net and there in the right sidebar there will be a link to their itunes page for theology on mission and as always, again, I hate to beat a dead horse, but you can help us by leaving a review uh, on iTunes. Uh, you can share the podcast, and that will help us uh, expand the possibilities of encouraging pastor theologians, encouraging the development of pastor theologians, and encouraging those who think along with us in our churches to think well. Until next time, this has been Todd Littleton with Path Theological, a podcast for the pastor theologian. You can find us at toddlittleton.net or paththeological.com. And until next time, uh, keep thinking. <laughs>